Friends, we're spending some time learning to pray with Jesus as Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And so over these weeks, we've been looking at the kingdom prayer, the Lord's prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. We also have some little prayers as we come in on these white cards. They're laminated, so if you take them home, remember to bring them back so we can use them again and again. They're simple prayers that teach us how to pray, of different things we can pray about and pray for. They follow a similar structure to the kingdom prayer. And perhaps through these prayers, the Lord is speaking to you this morning. I've had a number of people say that when they come and read the prayer, it's exactly what they needed that day. The Lord uses all different forms to speak to us. And so I encourage you as you come in each week to take one of these cards. And when nothing's happening in the service or after you've given your offering or while we're in prayer time and you don't know what to pray, you could read that card and make it a part of your prayers and hear what the Lord is saying to you and you can express what you need to say to the Lord as well. We're talking about this kingdom prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. And in many ways, this prayer is a summary of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and in the heart of us is this prayer. Jesus takes his key lessons and he makes them a part of this prayer. Because Jesus knows that if we are going to live the way God wants us to live, then we will need God's help, God's power. We cannot do it alone. And so the first request, we say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, is in part about us here on earth living in a way that reflects well on God our Father. He has given us his name. And so when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're praying, Lord God, help me to live in a way that honors your name. The second request builds on this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's about us working with God to put things right, doing things the way God wants them to be done, having the right attitudes, the right behavior, influencing our world towards God's way. The third request, which we spoke about last week, give us this day our daily bread, is about reordering our priorities about needs and desires and fully relying on the goodness of God to know what we really need. Like the birds of the air who do not sow or reap and yet have enough. Or the flowers of the field that do not spin or sow yet are clothed in the finest garments. Today we consider the fourth request of the kingdom prayer. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In the old English and the prayer that we say here, we recite recite together as church, says trespasses. And other translations say forgive us our sins. But here I think the NIV has got it right because forgiveness is about debts, about letting deep debts go, about releasing them not holding them against people anymore. And in case it's not clear what Jesus was saying in this, immediately after his teaching on the prayer, in the next few verses, he tells us, he explains what he means. He goes on and expands his teaching. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. 
Forgive us as we forgive others. And if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. This teaching raises a question for us. Is the Father's forgiveness towards us contingent? That is, is it reliant upon us forgiving others? Jesus seems to say that our forgiving others is inextricably bound up, tied together with God forgiving us. But how does this work? We've spoken about this topic before, and much of the message today I have presented in the past, but this is important stuff, and it bears repeating. And certainly the Bible repeats this teaching again and again and again. Let's start, first of all, by talking about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. First of all, forgiveness is not an emotion. It is not a feeling. Someone might say, I don't feel like forgiving and so I can't. But forgiveness is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. Forgiveness is an action. It is something you do, whether you feel like it or not. Does that make sense? Whether you feel like forgiving or not doesn't stop you from forgiving. You can choose to forgive no matter what your feelings say. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Reconciliation is where you take two warring parties and you put them back together the way they used to be. Yes? Reconcile. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. It's a part of reconciliation, but reconciliation is much more than forgiveness. Just because you forgive someone does not mean that you are automatically friends again. It does not mean that the relationship is restored. In fact, you can forgive someone and then want nothing more to do with them ever again. In English, we say forgive and forget. And maybe in your languages you have a similar expression. We say forgive and forget. There's a reason we have two words there. Because sometimes you want to forgive and remember. Yes? Forgive and forget is reconciliation. We're going to act as if this never happened. But sometimes we need to forgive and remember so it doesn't happen again. If someone has hurt you badly, you might not want to be in a position where they can hurt you again. In fact, that's wisdom. You shouldn't hand an alcoholic a beer and you should not hand a bully a victim. Yes? Is that clear? Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiveness is releasing a debt and turning the offending person over to God. We turn the person who has hurt us over to God for God to deal with. Instead of me holding the anger and holding the debt and being frustrated and upset with this person, I'm going to release that and I'm going to let God deal with them. Instead of carrying that weight, that burden, that desire for revenge around with you, you say, actually, that's God's business. And this is a repeated theme through the Bible. In the Bible, again and again, it says that it's not our place to judge others. It's not our place to seek revenge. That's God's job. From Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, we have this verse. 
where God says, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. That's in the midst of a massive chapter where, where God is speaking to the people of Israel about the people who've treated them badly on their journey through the wilderness and says, guys, I'll deal with it. It is mine to avenge. I will repay. I'll fix it. In the King James, and everything sounds better in the King James, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. That's what we want to hear, isn't it? We want to hear God saying, vengeance is mine, I'll fix them, I'll get them good. That might be what he's saying. And this is repeated in the New Testament. Paul quotes from Deuteronomy, and he says to the church in Rome, he says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Paul seems to imply that if you and I take revenge, we get in the way of God smiting them with a lightning bolt. Maybe. Maybe. He says, don't get in the way of God's judgment. Don't get in the way of God's wrath. Let him deal with it. And this is a repeated refrain through the New Testament, as Paul and the other writers tell us, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Or in Colossians, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. How many sins did he forgive? All, he forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And so we should not, and Paul says, we should not take debts against each other because God has cancelled all of our debts. And again in Colossians, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. As the Lord forgave you. And that seems to have a different tense to the Lord's prayer because we, Paul says we should forgive because the Lord forgave. In the past, he forgave us. But when Jesus in the Lord prayer, he says, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven others. So which comes first? Is it God forgiving us so we forgive others? Or is it us forgiving others so that God forgives us? That's the heart of the trouble we're talking about this morning. Which comes first? The chicken or the egg? And all the creationists say, the chicken. Amen. All right. Although fish have eggs. So maybe there were eggs the day before the chicken. Oh, it gets very upsetting. Anyway. Jesus explains some more of this in Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, as the Kids Times video explained to us, here's what it says. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Seven times? Now, in Jesus' time, the rabbis had a rule that if someone sinned against you three times, you had to forgive them. But the fourth time you could say, that's it, that's enough, I'm cutting you off. So the rabbi rule was three times. So when Peter comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, how many times should we forgive one another? Should we be twice as good as the rabbis and a bit more? So when Peter comes, he's saying seven times. He thinks maybe Jesus will go, yeah, good boy, gold star, seven times. 
twice as good as those lousy rabbis. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven. Or in this translation says 77 times. The Greek's a bit muddled there depending on which version you read. But either way, he's saying lots and lots and lots and lots and lots. And he's not giving a specific number that we should keep a little tally mark on the wall of the number of times we've forgiven that person. And when we get to 77 times or 490 times, if you read the other versions, no, he's saying just keep on forgiving. Just keep on forgiving. And then from this story, he goes immediately into the parable that we heard our kids' time. The man owes the king 10,000 bags of gold, which is an absurd amount. Think about how much you earn in a year. Multiply that by 267,000 years, and that's how much the man owed the king. It is a stupid amount of money. And the king just goes and forgives him because he asks for forgiveness. He asks to be be forgiven. And then that lousy, no good, wicked servant goes out and grabs another fellow by the throat and demands a hundred silver pennies. A hundred silver pennies or three months' wages. And because this man refuses to forgive the debt of the other man, the king changes his mind and he puts the 10,000 bags of gold debt right back on top of him. He'd not learned a thing from the experience of being forgiven. So the king says, because you've not learned a thing, the debt returns. It's back on top of you again. And so a debt that was forgiven is reimposed. And so we have that past and present thing again. And this underlines the importance of forgiving other people, of releasing that debt. It's a regular teaching in the New Testament. Paul tells us that when we're angry with others, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Do not make room for the devil. We've talked about this before as well. The word angry here is the word orge. Everybody say orge. Orge. And he says it's the word for hot. When you're hot with someone, that's okay. But don't let the sun go down on that anger, on that. Here he uses a different word, the word para orge. Everyone say para orge. And para is the Greek root for we have parachutes to help us get to the ground safely or parasail or all sorts of things. Para means through or because of, yes? And it can be translated as bitterness or fury or really deep anger. So it's okay to be angry, Paul says, but don't let that turn into para orge. Don't let that turn into the consequences of that anger. Don't let it take root in your heart and do not give the devil a foothold. Paul was saying when you're angry, don't sin by refusing to deal with the anger. Be done with it because when your anger becomes submerged anger, it opens the door for the devil to begin using that bitterness to eat away at every aspect of your well-being. You know, forgiveness is unforgiveness is spiritual cancer. Studies show that people who hang on to grudges have higher rates of cancer, strokes, and other diseases. They tend to have less satisfying relationship with others. They're overall less happy than people who've learned how to let go of grievances. 
With that in mind, is it the case that the Father won't forgive us if there is someone we haven't forgiven? No, it's more that we forgive others. It's not that we forgive others so that God will forgive us. Rather, our forgiving others is predicated on, is motivated by, it grows out of the forgiveness that we've already received in Christ. What Jesus did on the cross, he did for everybody. Jesus bore the sin of the world, and by his self-sacrificial death and resurrection, he atoned for, he abolished the sin of the entire world. On the cross, All is forgiven on God's side. But this forgiveness only reaches us and benefits us when we acknowledge that we need it, that we need to be forgiven and accept that we're forgiven, which is part of what it means to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Even as Christians, there are places we can, there are are things we can do and attitudes we can cultivate that hinder our ability to, to receive God's love and forgiveness. We can gum up the works. That's an old English expression, gum up the works. I'm not sure how to explain that more thoroughly. Gum up the works is when you stick chewing gum down the toilet and eventually the toilet stops working, yes? To gum up the works. We can interfere with God's love, God's love and forgiveness reaching us by the bitterness and anger we hold in our hearts until eventually we find ourselves outside of God's forgiveness. At the top of the list of the things we can do to gum up the works is unforgiveness. When we refuse to release others from whatever debt they incurred by wronging us, we give the devil a foothold, a landing place, a beachhead, and from there he starts to advance into all of our lives. We give him a foothold to wreak destructive havoc in our whole life. And our capacity of receiving the Father's love and forgiveness is diminished. If we don't forgive others, we are demonstrating that we really don't understand what God has done for us in Jesus. We are rejecting his plan of salvation. We are demanding our 100 silver pennies of justice while forgetting that we have been forgiven 10,000 bags of gold. So, how do we do it? How do we release someone from a debt that they've incurred by wronging us? We've gone through this before as well, but it does bear repeating. First of all, we need to acknowledge the wrong that was committed and give yourself permission to feel the pain of it and grieve over it. If you act as though what they did didn't matter then you won't be able to forgive them. It's not until you feel the full pain of it and the full ramification of it that you'll understand how to forgive them. If you just gloss over and say, it's fine, it's okay, that's just burying the anger. That's not solving the issue. We need to acknowledge the wrong that was done to us because forgiving another person does not in any way minimize the wrong thing. Whatever they've done to you, it really hurts, yes? Think of the person you dislike the most in the world and what they did to you. It really hurts. It's not a lie. You don't know good pretending it didn't. It really stinks what they did to you. And they deserve a good smack around the chops. Yes? 
We need to acknowledge that what happened to you was wrong and it should not have happened and it hurts. And then straight after that, we need to let Jesus in on that pain. We need to invite him to be a part of it. God wants to be with you on the inside of that pain. That's the whole lesson of Jesus coming to earth and becoming a human being was to share our pain. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, wounded sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. Jesus wants to be inside on that pain. So however that works for you, you can imagine that scene and imagine Jesus being there with you. You can visualize it. You can represent it in whatever way works for you. You know, as little kids, we used to draw on scrap paper with crayons, and kids still do that today. That's how kids process their emotions and what has happened to them. I think as adults, we should all have a box of crayons and some paper beside the bed. And before we go to bed, we should draw the pictures of what may have happened to us to that day and help us process those feelings. And once you've drawn that crayon picture, put Jesus in the middle of it because he was there as well. However you do that, draw a picture, write a story, vividly picture the scene. Thirdly, remember the enormous debt that God has forgiven you. The wrong may be inexcusable that was done to you, but remind yourself that God has forgiven you the inexcusable. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you fully appreciate just how much more, just how much inexcusable sin God has forgiven you. And remind yourself of the unsurpassable suffering God had to endure in Jesus to bring about your forgiveness. Fourthly, release your right to revenge. Turn the debt over to God, who alone knows the degree to which people are acting out of their free will or acting out of the prequel stuff, all the things that were said and done to them in their background. God knows all that stuff. He knows. Trust God to hold them accountable for what they have done. Leave all vengeance to God. Maybe you need to write a letter that lists the debt, like an invoice. Dear so-and-so, you owe me because of what you did. Write it out and then destroy it or give it away to God. Rip it up, burn it, put it in a letter, put it in an envelope and post it just with the address of God. The postman's not going to read it. He's just going to destroy it at the other end. But walking to the post box with the letter and putting it in and seeing that lid shut and go clang may do a great deal for your heart. I know it has done for my heart. And finally, pray for your enemies. If the offense done to you is particularly grievous, Put this person on your enemy's list. Not because you're seeking revenge, but because you want to bless them. This gives God a chance to heal your woundedness, to help you keep from grabbing hold of the debt you feel you're owed. I've been told that Christians should not have enemies. And I agree. But the only way I know of to not have enemies is to pray for the ones you've got. It is by praying for them and asking God to bless them that they stop being your enemies. Jesus said, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus says God treats people well regardless of how they behave. He sends his rain and his son on all of them, and he calls us to do the same. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. One of my favorite movies is Fiddler on the Roof. Have you seen Fiddler on the Roof? Or do I need to add that to our movie list for this year? We're going to watch some movies in church this year to educate you people because not enough of you have seen Pollyanna. Who's seen Pollyanna? Oh, a few more than last time. All right. We'll watch Pollyanna and then something else. I can't remember what the other one is. And then Fiddler on the Roof will be out there eventually. No, well, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang's not a Christian song, but... If you want to see Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, my kids are in a musical at school and they'll sell you some tickets in a few weeks. Anyway, in Fiddler on the Roof, there's a scene. The Jewish people are in their village in Russia. It's hard being Jewish in Russia. And they come up to the rabbi and they say, Rabbi, do we have a prayer for the Tsar, the, the emperor of Russia? Do we have a prayer for the Tsar? And the, prayer, and the rabbi goes, a prayer for the Tsar, a prayer for the Tsar. God bless the Tsar and keep him. Far away from us. Yes, God bless him and keep him far away from us. And if that's the best prayer you've got for the people you don't like, then start there. Lord God, bless Jim and keep him as far away from me as possible. Because if I see him, I'm going to around the chops. If all you can do is ask God to bless them with consequences appropriate to their actions, then start there. God, may you bless that man with consequences equal to the stupid thing he just did. Start there. And as we pray for these people, you will learn over time to bless them in a more Jesus-like way. But at least you're moving in the right direction when you pray a blessing on your enemies. Pray for people you cannot stand, people you really don't like, and eventually you will find that they don't worry you nearly as much because you will have taken away the devil's foothold to cause trouble in your life. Are there any questions this morning before we conclude? For those visiting with us, I'd like to pause, see if there's any questions, anything I've said that's confused or upset you or something you want to hear some more about. Are there any questions this morning before we continue? You shouldn't scratch yourself. You shouldn't put your hand around your your friend with this point, because I'm going to think you're putting your hand up. No, no questions? All right. I'm not perfect. You guys know that, don't you? If you ever get an email from me or see my PowerPoint displays, you'll see that there's typos, there's errors. Sometimes I send emails to the whole church and they go to no one but me. That happened last week. I apologize. I'm not perfect. And I'm growing in this area of forgiveness as well. But I've got to tell you, I'm a lot better than I used to be. I used to be wound so tight, and sometimes I still am, but I used to be so cross with so many people. I've told you the story before of the people who drove the Tarago, and they upset me so much that every time I saw a Tarago, I'd go, oh, I don't like those people. I've told you that story before. I used to have a man who walked around in my head. I carried him around up here. He was one of these people who 
always criticizing, always nothing's ever good enough. And everything I would do, I would hear his voice in my head saying, that wasn't very good, you should have done that better. And this went on for years and I nearly had a breakdown over it, nearly left the ministry, all the rest, from all these things. Till I started taking Jesus' words seriously and started praying a blessing on that man. And every day when I would pray, I'd pray the Lord's Prayer. I'd pray, Lord, forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. And I pray for, and I would list the names of these people who made me so angry. Until I found, maybe a year later, that I'd forgotten his name. I was talking about him to someone else, this man who annoys me so much. And I said, I've forgotten his name which happens to me a lot, but I don't usually forget the names of my enemies. Yes, I know who they are and I know exactly where they are. But this guy, I'd forgotten his name because I'd prayed for him so much and blessed him so much that he had stopped living up here. He was gone. And so many Christian people will tell you this same story over and over again. Charles uh, Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher in London, tells a story that one day he was invited to an event he got an invitation from another pastor to go to this other event. And he said to his wife, oh, this will, this will be a great event. That'll be lovely. It'll be fabulous to see. I can't remember the fellow's name. I don't think he mentioned it. It'll be good to see pastor so-and-so again. And his wife said to him, are you mad? He said, what do you mean? He goes, don't you remember what he said about you? Don't you remember what he did to you? Don't you remember the articles he published in the newspaper criticizing you? And Charles Spurgeon looked at her and went, No. I don't remember. When did that happen? Oh, three years ago, she says. And she told him, and he goes, oh, yeah, that bears a memory. I guess I must have prayed for him so much I forgot. What happens? When we pray for our enemies, they stop being our enemies because it's really hard to bless someone you hate. And the best way to stop hating someone is to bless them. God's love is so amazing and astounding and boundless. He has forgiven us 10,000 bags of gold. Why do we hold on to the 100 silver pennies? Let us be like Jesus. Let's let it go. Let's not get in the way of God's wrath. Let's have him deal with it. The song I've chosen this morning is... I can't look at you either. Um, My favourite song, most beautiful song in the world uh, for us salvationists, this is the founder's song. This is the song that William Booth wrote. And it talks about the amazing love of God, redeeming the whole world, now redeeming us, asking his amazing love to fill us, to save us, to redeem us. And when we're in that boundless ocean of love, You're not going to worry about the hundred silver pennies. Let's pray. Father God, this morning we have heard some tough words from Jesus, some tough words from our Savior saying that we need to forgive our enemies the same way you have forgiven us. Father God, that's really tough. But Father God, if Jesus says it, it must be important. And so, Father God, I pray that you would help us today to see your deep ocean of love, your boundless salvation, 
pouring and rolling over us as the mighty ocean waves. Father God, help us to absorb that love. Help us to be so transfixed or amazed by that love, so blown away by your forgiveness that we cannot help but forgive our enemies as well. Father God, I pray that you would make it real to us how much you have forgiven us and that you would help us to give our enemies their hundred silver pennies. Help us each and every one, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.